get to join in this weekend and cheering on my Rams in the Super Bowl, am I right? Come on. Okay, okay, okay. Everyone loves Joe Burrow so much. Okay, Here, here's the answer to the question, because you're probably like, okay, Drake, when'd you hop on the bandwagon? I get it. Okay, 1999 to answer that question. But I kind of want to hear from the crowd, all right? Let's see how the sides play out. So, Bengals fans, you can be silent as we're cheering for the Rams here real quick. But first off, let's hear it for the Rams. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, we're uh, continuing our series. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, Bengals fans, here we are. All right. I, uh, I may or may not be here next week. We'll find out. Uh, but, guys... That's what's going on this Sunday. We'll figure that out then. We're excited to gather again tonight. We're going to continue just opening God's word. That's what we do here at Salt Company. We believe God's voice is revealed in his word. And it's not actually me bringing something to you tonight. But we look into God's word because we believe that he has a message for us. So open up in your Bibles to Psalm 51. We're continuing our series through the book of Psalms. Where the series title is called Longing for More. And here's the question that we've been trying to hit on in this series. How do we confront the reality that our hearts long for more than what we experience in this world? The unsettling feeling that things aren't as they should be in a variety of different ways. So the first week, we looked at this idea that we have this longing to worship. Like, that is very created in the very fabric of our being that we all long to worship. It's just, what are you worshiping with your life? Second week, we looked at this idea that we have this longing for truth. And that there's so many things in this world that is claiming that they have the truth, but there's only one that plants you by streams of living water. We all delight in something. What do you delight in? This week, we're going to be looking at the idea that we all long for righteousness. And I want to define what that word is because if you haven't maybe grown up in the church, you've maybe heard that word, but you don't understand what it means. To put it simply, righteousness is to have a right standing before God. This means to be morally perfect. And I'm not just talking about in the actions that people see. I'm saying your emotions, your thoughts, your motives, and your desires everything about you that you would stand perfect before King Jesus. A simple phrase that we might all connect with is that all of us have this desire to be good enough. Maybe good enough for that person to like you, good enough to get that job that you want, good enough for your parents' approval, good enough that your life is actually worth something. There's value to it. We all have a way that we strive to be good enough in our life. What is it for you? And maybe instead of this kind of drive to be good enough, you've been overwhelmed with this weight that you know you aren't good enough. And that, that is actually what carries you forward more so is this feeling that you will never be good enough on your own. And so we all have this desire to be good enough, to be righteous and maybe that's wired within every single one of us because the one that created every single one of us gave us that desire to be righteous before him. 
And so that is a desire that's deep within our souls that we would be good enough. And so the question then is, what do we do when we completely screw things up? And that's what we're going to find here from David's prayer in Psalm 51 tonight because I think a lot of us find it difficult to connect with some of David's words in a lot of the other Psalms. Like last week, we hear him say, I, I meditate on God's law day and night. There's this constant meditation. And it's hard for us to even connect with him in that moment. This psalm is one of the seven psalms of confession where he's just sharing about the brokenness within his heart. And I think this is one that we can all resonate with David. This is David's cry after the biggest mistake of his life. So, if you are part of us, our, our series last year, we walked through uh, the life of David. You'll see that in 2 Samuel 11, you don't have to turn there, but you can check that out at another time. You'll see the story that led up to this psalm. So David, instead of going out to battle with all of his men, he decides to stay back and to chill out a little bit. And while he's at home, he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba, and he calls one of his servants to go get her brings her into his room, and then commits adultery and rapes her in that moment. And she becomes pregnant. And so David's like, oh, man, she has a husband, actually a guy that's very loyal to me. Here's what I'll do. I'll hide my sin by calling him to come back, and I'll try to get him to sleep with his wife so all this is covered up. But that man comes back, and he's like, how can I sleep with my wife when all of my men are out in battle? David even tries to get him drunk, and in his drunk state, he will not sleep with his wife. He sleeps on the doorpost, at the doormat leading into his house. And so what David does, because he, he doesn't want to break the news to this man, he sends him on a suicide mission, basically. He sends him out with the men, but he says, why don't you go out in front of everyone else, and then everyone else pull back. So he is isolated out in the middle of the battlefield, and then he gets struck down and dies. And then after that, the baby dies as well. Brokenness completely infiltrating every area of that situation. So this psalm displays a heart overwhelmed by how far from good enough David is. So the question that we're going to be looking at tonight is how or what do we do when we completely screw things up? Let's open up to 51 verse 3 is where we're going to start. It says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother Conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That's, that's the text. That's good. Uh, and so what's happening in this text, so if we look at verse 3, it, says, it has a couple of words in here that I want to define for you. So transgressions is breaking the law of God. Sin is this idea of us missing the mark. That God has called us to this perfect standard, and we've actually missed the mark on that. And so what David is laying out here, as he's saying these words, and hear the weight of these words, 
Like he is laying out that he is vividly aware of how broken he is, how far the sin goes in his heart. He is saying that his sin is ever before him. That literally throughout the day is constantly being reminded over and over and over how much he falls short. And I know that some of you in this room tonight can relate to that. It doesn't matter if you're isolated. It doesn't matter if you're around other people. It doesn't matter if you're in a class. But you just constantly have these thoughts hitting you, reminding you of all the ways that you don't measure up, all the ways that you aren't good enough yourself. And then he says this line, against you, you only have I sinned. And right away when you read that, he's, he's praying this to God and he says, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. You have to ask, like, David, what are you talking about? What about Bathsheba? What about her husband? What about the baby that was impacted by this choice? How can you say that it was against God and God alone? Here's what David knew. That the greatest devastation with sin was that it was ultimately a rebellion against God himself. That all of the brokenness that was caused in these other relationships actually was swallowed up in the greater destruction that is rebellion against the God that created him. Here is what's happening to David in this moment. His heart is broken because he knows that his sin breaks the heart of God. Is that how you see the sin in your life? Because if I'm being honest, a lot of times the thing that grieves me the most is actually the consequences of my sin in this life. Or what people will think about me when they hear about this sin that is in my life. It's not that I broke the heart of God. Like think about it for yourself. Is it more difficult for you to share or confess your sin to people around you? People in this room, or is it more difficult to, become, to come before God himself and to confess that to him? Why is that? So he continues. He's just laying out more and more of how far his sin goes. He goes, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's saying the sin runs deep, like I was born into sin. Like, from the moment that I entered this world, I was a sinful human being. I was born with a predisposition towards selfishness and pride and greed. And, guys, I have seen a window into this reality, okay? Because Zeta Bell, she is cute as heck, but she has also got that rebellious spirit to her, right? So I'm, like, sitting at the kitchen table. You know, we're doing breakfast. I'm feeding her some eggs. And she just goes like this one time, drops off the side of the table. I'm like, Zeta Bell, don't drop your food off the table, she literally gives me the cutest soft smile, grabs something, looks, doesn't leave eye contact, drops it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, right? It's like we were born being sinful people. We were born fluent and being rebellious. It's not something we had to learn. It came natural to who we are. That is what David is saying in this moment. In this chunk of text, he's trying to come to terms. He's trying to admit the full gravity of his sin and brokenness. But it seems so backwards for us to actually acknowledge our sin, doesn't it? Because what we want is that we want to be good enough on our own. So me sharing my brokenness seems like it's going in the opposite direction of what I should be doing. And so how do we then choose to deal with our sin? 
the way that we offset that is instead of admitting it, we try to diminish it. We try to make our sin feel smaller so that we can feel better about ourselves. And I want to share with you four ways that we commonly do this. And so if you're taking notes, write down these four. And I want to encourage you to look back at these and reflect, like, where do you see this in your life? Because, again, this is something I've seen over and over at different points of my life with all four of these. So the first one, comparison. At least I'm not like that person. You might come in this room maybe feeling a little down because of choices that you've made this week, but yet you look across the room and you're like, well, at least I didn't do what they did this last weekend. Like, I know the life that they're living. I feel better about myself because of that. Yeah, I'm still struggling with the sin, but I'm not as far into the struggle as that person. So I feel better about that myself. I've seen this even in my own life when it comes to serving, like doing godly things of serving his church family. In my own heart, I'm like, man, I'm feeling pretty good in comparison to the people that didn't show up to serve. When we compare, what we're doing is we're using other people in this room, we're using brothers and sisters as stepping stones to feel better about ourselves. First one, comparison. The second one, blame shifting. It's obviously, obviously not my fault in this conversation. All right, it's clearly that person that's in the wrong. I am the innocent one. Some of you are probably like, hey, I wouldn't be so angry if you just did the dishes, right? Like, I am only this upset because you aren't doing your part in the dishes. And what we forget is the, the sin that comes out from us, the origin of that is our own heart. So what we do is we actually put the blame on someone else. I'm only responding like this because you did this, but maybe their actions just revealed what was in your heart in the first place. Hiding. If no one else knows what's going on in my life, I can keep this good image in front of other people. Like those broken areas that... I don't want anyone else to know about. I can just make this image and make it look like everything is, el- everything is okay. Like I can just play the Christian game. I can know the right words. I can sing all the right songs. I can do the right things and avoid the wrong things as long as I don't have to be open with what's truly going on in my life. Last one, downplaying. It's not that big of a deal. I know so many people that struggle with this. Or maybe for some of you, it's like, hey, we didn't go all the way. Like, yeah, we just slept in the same bed, but nothing happened. The reason why we downplay is because we, we want to keep around the sin that we love doing. And so we try to make it seem like it's actually not as big of a deal. Comparison, blame shifting, hiding downplaying, what one would you relate to? All of these are just our best attempt to try to make our sin smaller so that we can feel in some sense that we are good enough on our own. And here's what I want to say, Saul Company. God sees it all. God knows it all. There's nothing hidden from his eyes. There's nothing that you can stuff so far down in your heart that he would not notice. 
There's no prettied up image of yourself that will work before him. Even if you don't voice it, he knows it. And so David knows this fact, that everything that's going on in his life is laid before the king of the universe, and he sees all, he knows all, and so he comes before God and just says, I have sinned against you. This sin is the core of who I am. I come before you broken. So what David does that we fail to do so often, that I fail to do so often, is that he just admits it. He doesn't try to create another narrative. He doesn't try to diminish the sin in his life. He admits it. Okay, so a pastor that I uh, had growing up um, once shared with me the story about his daughter, Zoe. And so he was telling me that one, one week he had recently set up the Amazon one-click, which is a very dangerous button, but he set that up on his computer, and then a week later, there was a, an American Girl doll that showed up on his doorstep. It's like, that's odd. That's a doll that's over $100. Um, I don't know why. Next day, another doll. Next day, another doll. He has $300 spent in these American Girl dolls that he's starting to piece it together. Okay, I think Zoe figured out that one-click, right? Here's what he does. He brings these dolls in front of Zoe, and he says, Zoe, do you have any idea how these dolls got here? Looks them dead in the face. Says, well, Dad, I guess God wanted me to have them. (laughs) And just drops that line, right? I would be floored. Like, it's like, Zoe, okay, you have to realize, like, your dad is not fooled in this moment. He knows what happened. Just admit that you went on a little spree. You bought some dolls, all right? So come here's what's true about ourselves. We do this with God all the time. Like God is aware of everything that's going on in our heart. He knows all the motives. He knows all the desires. And yet, we try to trick the creator of the universe with another narrative to come before him. Like God, that sin's not that bad. God, look at all these good things that I'm doing for you. Focus on that. Like I am working really hard to be good enough for you. And as we sit with this text, I think we just have to ask the question, is there any sin that you've been hiding? Like, is there any sin that you've been just, like, brewing on more and more in your thoughts and trying to keep away from people in this room, people in your connection group, or trying to keep from bringing to the feet of King Jesus? Is there anything in your life that you're trying to play off as a smaller deal than it actually is? Is there any sin that you're trying to diminish in order to feel better about yourself? And here is another question. What if we brought our true selves to God rather than the person we'd rather portray? Like, what if we joined in with David and just said, God, this is the true me. This is the broken me. This is the sinful me that I'm coming before you, and I'm just laying that down. And to answer the question, what do we do? What do we do when we completely screw things up? Step one, we admit how broken we are. But here's what happens when you admit how broken you are. You also come to realize how far from the perfect standard of God you are as well. Let's look back at the text starting in verse 7. It says, 
Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Do you hear the urgency in David's heart as he cries this out? He's saying, God, purge my soul of everything gross to make me clean. Wash every single part of me to make me white as snow. Would you blot out all of my transgressions that are going on in my heart? He's saying, God, would you do a deep clean of the the wretched sides of me so that I can be someone who can come before you, that I can be someone that's willing, that's worthy to be in your presence. David realizes that he is someone who is far off from being good enough to be in the presence of God. Do any of you feel that as well? Here are some questions that wrestle around in my mind from time to time. Shouldn't I be farther along than I am right now? Like how long have I been following Jesus? Why am I still struggling with this thing? Am I even a Christian? Like, as I wrestle with those questions, some of the things that come up is like, God, would you make my heart clean? Would you make my heart pure? Would, we, would you remove the greed and the discontentment from my heart? Would you cause me to be someone worthy to be in your presence? Would you remove all those ugly parts of my heart so that I can come before you? We are all incredibly aware of the gap that we have when we stand in our brokenness across from the perfection of our holy God. We realize that we first need to admit where we're at, but we also realize that we are so far from where we need to be. Okay, a way that I want to talk about this is I I picked up a... uh, a new hobby in the last couple of weeks, all right? I joined in the love of the Minnesotans in some hockey, okay? And here's what I want to say about hockey. It is a very humbling sport to learn, okay? Um, because here, here's the issue with skating on ice. There is no graceful way to fall. Like, every time you fall, it looks ugly enough for three people to be like, hey, are you okay? You good? You gonna make it? And so that's what my last couple weeks have been. Jack Dagoberg, one of our leaders, has a running tally of how many times he has dropped me to the ice as I've been learning, right? No video evidence, so we don't know for sure if that has happened. Uh, But here's what I want to say. I realize very quickly when I'm out on the ice how far I am from where I want to be. And you guys have those different experiences throughout your life. Like some of you, maybe you took your first test this week, and you're like, well, that was a little farther off than I wanted to be, right? Sorry if that hit too close to home. Um, But here's what we also wrestle with. If that's how we feel with some of the smaller things of this world, how much more do we feel that when we stand across from the perfection of our king? Because God isn't just asking for a better moral record. He's asking for a perfect one. God isn't just asking for a cleaned up heart for you to start shaping up your life. He's asking for you to have a new heart because the original one was so broken. God isn't just asking for you to outweigh the bad with good. 
but that all of the sin from your past, from today, and from your future would be blotted out from your life completely. When you see this gap between your own brokenness and the perfection of God, it brings you to a state where you feel completely helpless on your own. That's what causes David to say these words later on. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Like David is saying, even the sacrificial system that God put in place, him being as faithful as he could in that wouldn't be good enough for him to measure up in God's eyes. Like even your best deeds, whether that be your Bible reading, whether that be your salt company attendance, whether that be how much you serve, none of that is good enough for you to measure up in the eyes of God. None of that will make you righteous before him. And here's another thing that David knew. He knew what he deserved for his unrighteousness. Like he says the word, he has this request, God, Take me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He's pleading those things because he knows that is actually what he deserves. And so what does it mean here for what's true about us and our unrighteousness? What's true about us is that we don't deserve life with God but death. We deserve to be separated from the goodness of God for all of eternity. Our greatest glimpse of heaven should be the years that we spend on this divided and broken world. The longing in all of our hearts to be content and to completely be at rest, never coming to fruition, the greatest desire of our heart never being fulfilled, that is what we deserve for our brokenness that we bring before Jesus. The wages of sin is death. And David says these words, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Here's what he's saying to God. I realize the brokenness that's in my heart. I realize the sinful life that I've been living. And that makes you completely blameless to cast me away from your presence for eternity. Like there would be no flaw in you, God, for separating me from your loving kindness for all of eternity. All of us stand before God with no grounds on our own to be good enough for him, and what we deserve is his punishment and wrath. This is what's going on in David's heart as he helplessly cries out this song. In this state where he realizes how far off from God he is and what he actually deserves is what causes him to kick off this psalm with these words. Let's look back at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, he's saying there's nothing within me that is good enough. It has to be according to your love, according to your mercy. And so what do we do when we screw things up? We run and fall at the feet of the one that extends mercy to the broken. Because what we see about mercy in Scripture is that mercy is where the goodness of God collides with the brokenness of humanity. Your fears tell you to hide your brokenness. Here's what happens when you stop hiding your brokenness and become honest with your sin before God. 
You run face first into the merciful heart of our God. Your path to righteousness is not from you being good enough on your own. Your path to righteousness is through you pleading for the mercy of God on your life. And so where David falls short in being the king over God's people, God knew that there would be another king that would come who would lead his people in perfection. That this man would come, that he would live. That this man would heal, this man would love. This man would be bold, he would be faithful, he would be perfect. And then he would be accused. He would be silent. He would carry a cross. He would hang on that cross. He would die, and he would be buried. But then we know that he would rise. He would leave the grave. He would ascend, and he would take the throne. And from that throne, he would look down on you tonight. He would smile. He would invite you in. And he would say, come experience the incredible mercy that I have for you, a sinner. He would say, you earned yourself some sin-stained clothes. Here, take my robe of white righteousness that is as white as snow. You lived a life that was so far from God. Here, take my life in your place. Your sin deserved punishment. My blood paid for it. You deserve death. I defeated it. You feel broken. I've restored you. You feel helpless. Let me help you. You fear my response. I want to lavish my love on you. You think you are too far gone. Let it display my mercy all the more. That is how Jesus looks at you right now. So don't let the unceasingly loud voice in your head that's telling you to hide your brokenness keep you from experiencing the incredible mercy of Jesus. Don't let your exhausted attempts to be righteous on your own, to be good enough on your own, keep you from from receiving the gift of Christ's righteousness on your behalf. So I'll come to you. The path to righteousness is through the plea for God's mercy. It's not from your performance. That's not what God needs. It's not you measuring up. It's not you being good enough. It's not you hiding your sin so that you think you're good enough. It's mercy. And that's what all of us in unison are crying out to God tonight. And so I actually want to invite the band up, and we're going to end it a little bit differently. Because I I realize that as we sit with Psalm 51, again, this is a psalm that we all resonate with. This is like I see brokenness in my own heart that would cause me to say these words. We have our own Psalm 51. So before we enter into worship, I want to give us space to think through those things. So if you want to join me in standing, feel free to stand up. And here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you to hold out your hands and close your eyes. Just hold out your hands and surrender to King Jesus. Close your eyes. And as you're standing there, I want you to think about what is that, what is that sin that you don't want anyone else to know about? The one that you have become a professional at hiding it from other people. 
Or maybe what's the sin from this day, from this past week, from this semester that has been heaping on guilt and shame in your life? What's the brokenness that you feel is keeping you from the love of King Jesus? And I want you to, as I go through this prayer, I want you to be praying the same thing in your heart. As you lay your brokenness before the feet of Jesus, in your own heart, just say these words, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I don't want to hide anymore. I don't want to try to be good enough on my own anymore. I'm exhausted. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, this is a a prayer that I need to pray every single day. God, I've tried hard. I've tried to do all the right things, and yet I come back to the same spot where I need your mercy. And Jesus, I thank you that you looked down and saw us in our broken state. And in that very state is where you decided to come after us. That you died on the cross that we deserve to die on, and now you gift us the perfection that only you earned. So now we freely get to come before you and worship you tonight. We freely get to give you our life because it's completely your mercy, your kindness that has drawn us in. Yes, we are broken, but your mercy goes all the further. So, Father, help us to celebrate you. Help us to not be so consumed on our brokenness that we would miss out on the beautiful mercy of you. In your name we pray. Amen. There we go. Beautiful. Okay. Some of the words that David says later in the psalm is the right response to this type of moment. He says these words, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. So here's how we respond when we see the incredible mercy of Jesus. We lift up songs of praise. We enter into this moment lifting up his name because we realize his name is the only one worthy of our worship. And what I love about us singing together is that it is a physical display of what we want the rest of our life to be like. We want to be people that are exalting him with our lives. We want to be people that are shouting out how incredible he is, not how incredible we are. And so we join in with David as he responds to the beautiful mercy of King Jesus by worshiping him and singing aloud of his righteousness. 
that God was so kind to allow us to experience that righteousness as well. So let's lift our voices to King Jesus tonight.